Great to see you. Wonderful to be with you today. My passage today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you have a copy of God's Word. I want, to, I want to say as you're turning there, I think Ecclesiastes is God's Word to us. It's a powerful word. It's an encouraging word. It's a very honest word and strengthening word. Let's pray again as we look at God's Word. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the great French thinker, scientist, Blaise Pascal, I think he captures what Ecclesiastes is about when he prays this prayer. And I hope it's your prayer too. He says, I ask you neither for health or sickness, for life or death, but that you may use my health and my sickness, my life and my death for your glory. You alone know what is best for me. You are the sovereign master. Do with me according to your will. Give to me or take away from me. Only confirm my will to yours. I know but one thing, Lord, that it is good to follow you and bad to offend you. Apart from that, I don't know what is good or bad in anything. I don't know what is most profitable to me, health or sickness, wealth or poverty or anything else in the world. That discernment is beyond the power of men or angels and is hidden among the secrets of your providence, which I adore, but I don't seek to fathom. So I I love this prayer because Pascal confesses God knows best. I mean, it's not wrong, right, to pray for for health and and for life, but, but God knows if health or sickness or life or death is best for us. So we're called upon to trust them for whatever comes our way. We're, we're, we're have, we have to be ready for anything. So don't, don't be surprised, right? Whatever happens in your life. And, and we need His help in everything. We need His help every day, whether you're healthy today or whether you're sick, whether one is living or, or dying. And I think Ecclesiastes helps us understand what's most important in life. It it teaches us, Ecclesiastes teaches us, life may surprise us, but but God God is with us and He calls us to follow Him. So I'm going to unfold four four truths in this passage that we're going to march through. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And those four truths are this, futile pleasures, futile pleasures, vain pleasures, a feudal legacy, a vain legacy, feudal labor, vain, vain labor, and then, and then lastly, enjoying, enjoying life. So let's look at those one at a time. First of all, feudal or vain pleasures. That's in the first 11 verses. Let's, let's read that, verses 1 through 11 of, of chapter 2. I said in my heart, I think this is Solomon speaking, come now, 
I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So Solomon considers the pleasures he enjoyed under the sun. And, and he's considering here, do we, do we find happiness in our lives by, by pursuing pleasure? I mean, many people, maybe, maybe even most people, they, may, they make pleasure their God. But no one, and it's here in this text, right? No one will ever surpass Solomon in pursuing their design, delights. And why is that? Well, one reason is Sol- Solomon was rich. Uh, he, he, he was not restrained at all. And, and, the, and the other thing is he was wise. He was rich and he was wise. He, he thought carefully, wisely, strategically. How could he maximize his pleasures? You know, some people give themselves totally to pleasure, but they, they throw their minds out the window, right? And, and, they, and, they, and they go down really, really quickly. They hit bottom, but, but Solomon thought about, how can I have maximum pleasure, but, but use wisdom in, in pursuing those pleasures? But he tells us, doesn't he, the result of his whole experiment in pursuing pleasure, he tells us it was vanity. What does that word mean? It was, it was futile. It was... It was, it was transient, seeking these pleasures. It, was, it wasn't finally fulfilling. It wasn't finally satisfying. He says of laughter, it's, it's, it's mad, and there's no use in pleasure. Now, Solomon isn't saying that laughter and pleasure and good times are wrong, right? His point is pursuing pleasure doesn't finally satisfy. You know, we know many people who are very humorous, and that's a gift of God, isn't it? But many people who are very humorous 
if you know their private lives, sometimes they suffer from significant depression. Up front, so a comedian, right, they can be very funny. I'm not saying this is true of all comedians, right? But up front, they can be very humorous. But internally, in their private life, away from the crowds, they're, they're not so happy. There can be a deep and profound unhappiness. I mean, comedy is a gift of God, isn't it? But, but, but Solomon's going deeper than the superficial things that we see in life. Solomon recounts all the things he did to obtain happiness. And notice, notice the emphasis in this text. It's on, it's on I, myself, me, myself, and I. Solomon is obsessed with himself, pursuing pleasures for his own sake. Notice in verse 3, we can't look at all of these, but notice in verse 3 that he tries wine. He thinks about how, how he can have maximum pleasure by pursuing wine. And, but at the same time, he does it without, you know, endangering himself or being a public nuisance of some kind. How many in our culture turn to alcohol and to drugs to bring them joy? And it, and it does bring some joy, doesn't it? It brings an initial excitement. But that joy, that excitement, it doesn't last. It can drive away depression. It can drive away that down feeling for a little while. But, but, the, but the party ends, doesn't it? And, and, the, next, and the next morning comes, and, and, and the sadness of human life still hovers over us. Verse 3 speaks of the few days of our lives. We grope for meaning and significance in partying, and, and it eludes us. We keep chasing after drugs and after alcohol, but, but they take control and ruin us. I was, I was listening to a program, and they were interviewing two guys who were in prison who were addicted to meth, and, and one of the guys said, they said to him, what are you going to do when you get out of prison? And one of them said, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to use it again. But the, but the other fellow, he knew it wasn't good for him, right? But I think he was more honest. He said, honestly, honestly, when I go back, he said, the experience with meth, it's, it's so wonderful. I'm, I'm going to go back to it again. And what, what's happening in his life, right? Meth, meth had become his master and Lord. Meth had become his, his, his false god. And like, like any false god, it ended up destroying him. Solomon also tried to find pleasure in his accomplishment and, and, his, and his works. We, we read he planted houses, uh, built houses, planted vineyards. He made gardens and, he, and parks. We, we can get a sense of accomplishment from, from our work, and, and that's a good thing, isn't it? We, we work hard, and we, we, we look at what we've done, and we're, we're happy. You know, I've, I've been, you probably have, I've been in Manhattan, I've been in New York City, I've been in Dubai. What magnificent buildings, what, what, what incredible feats of engineering are in those cities, and 
And that is something where we see the gifts God has given to human beings. What, what a joy it is to finish a project. You know, I like to write when I finish a book. I'm, I'm happy about it, and that's, that's a good thing. Or if you're a student and you're working on a paper or an exam or a project and you finish it and you did it well and you're satisfied and happy, that, that is a gift of God. But Solomon's asking a different question, isn't he? And the question he's asking is, do the things we do in life, our, our accomplishments, are they ultimately satisfying? That's the question. And, and the answer there is, no, they're not. Because there's still that gnawing hunger in our lives. There, there's a hunger for something more than what we do. And, and that hunger is a hunger for God himself for, God's, for God's, God's presence. You, you can be respected as a student, right, as an architect, as a politician, as a mom, as a plumber, as an athlete, or, or a preacher. But Augustine got it right, and I think this is what Solomon is talking about. Our, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee until they find rest in God. You know, often, I don't know what's happening in your life right now, but often we search for other things before we discover that nothing else besides God truly satisfies us. You you know, some of you, some of you are going to try, there's enough people in this room, I think this is true, some of you are going to try other things before you find out that God truly satisfies. And perhaps someday you'll be sitting alone with a feeling of despair. And I want you to remember what I'm saying right now. I want, to, I want you to remember my words. I, remember, remember if that feeling of despair engulfs you, remember, remember the Lord. Re- remember that Jesus came to satisfy the the very thirst that's in your soul. Remember he came to save those who turn from their sins and put their trust in him. That means he came to save those who, who try to find their joy in something else than God himself. And that's that's the experiment Solomon tried, right? He tried to find his joy in what he did and what he accomplished. And Solomon tells us, it doesn't work. It won't, it won't bring you that ultimate joy. Well, Solomon continues his quest. He says he had slaves to satisfy his every whim. It, it's like the person who can have whatever they desire to make them happy. Solomon had flocks and herds. Any night he wanted a steak dinner, he could have it. He was incredibly rich, to put it in today's terms. He could have dinner at Ruth Chris' steakhouse. He got a ticket to the Super Bowl, and he could, he could fly there on his private jet. Money wasn't a problem. That's why he's exhibit A of a person who's experienced everything. 
He had all the money in the world. Music, we see that in the text as well. Any music he desired was at the snap of his fingers. If he wanted variety, one night jazz, another night classical, maybe if he was feeling especially happy, a little bit of hip-hop. <laughs> Added to that, he satisfied his physical pleasures, not just with one person. We read it in the text. He had many concubines. You know, we hear the stories of some professional athletes. They have women waiting for them in various cities in which they visit. I mean, our culture is definitely sex-saturated. The, the Victorian age is definitely over, isn't it? But, but this is what Solomon's asking. Are, are people happier as they satisfy their sensual desires? Many who indulge in pornography find that their sexual desires actually decrease. Sin actually dulls their sense of pleasure. Some, some, some who look at porn, they become so addicted to it that they can no longer find pleasure sexually with a real human being. Their, their lives, they live totally in a fake world, not a real world. So verse 10 sums up Solomon's quest for pleasure. He says, whatever my eyes desired... Whatever I desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So we could say Solomon worked hard, Solomon played hard, he fulfilled his every desire. Most people can't claim that. Remember, he had the riches, he had the money to satisfy those desires. So Here's the point, Solomon Solomon has gone before us. He's done it all, and he's trying to teach us. Look, I'm a person who's done it all. And he tells us it's vanity. It's striving after the wind. We chase. And it's windy today, isn't it? You can chase and chase and chase after the wind, but you can never never grasp the wind. It, It eludes us. So imagine with me. Imagine if every desire you had was satisfied. What do you want? What do you want the most? Imagine, imagine if it was yours, a a magic genie gave it to you. What would be the result? What does Solomon tell us? You You would soon be bored. You would want something more. You would end up, you would end up where Solomon did. The, the, the things of the world won't satisfy the ache that is in our hearts. And Jesus offers us abundant life if we turn to him. All the joy you desire is right in front of you. And Jesus invites you to his feast and to drink the river of his delights. Here's what he says to the Samaritan woman who had five husbands and was living with the sixth. He says... By the way, this, isn't, this promise isn't for only for when you're first saved. This promise is something we have to return to again and again. In other words, we don't only drink once, we drink again and again. So here's what it says. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's physical water. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him that Jesus gives will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yeah, that's true when we're saved. But I want to say to you, if you're a believer today, keep drinking, right? Keep drinking. We keep drinking from that fountain. We have to keep slaking our thirst somewhere else because we can begin to wander from God and drink drink from other, other fountains. Solomon's telling us, I tried it. It doesn't work. Don't go that way. Secondly, we have a feudal legacy, a feudal legacy in verses 12 through 17. Solomon says, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same events happen to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So here Solomon thinks about the future and madness and wisdom and he recognizes again, did you see this in verse 12? No one will ever surpass him because he's incredibly rich and he's incredibly intelligent, wildly successful. So that sets him up well for the future. And, and Solomon says to us there, wisdom, wisdom's better than folly. Because the, 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 wise, the, the wise walk according to the light. They have eyes in their head. They, they think about what they're doing and where they're going. But fools, fools act on impulse. Fools end up destroying themselves. Fools, as he says, walk in darkness. Fools don't study in school. Fools don't work hard. Fools don't make plans for the future. And then they complain. Life is difficult. They expect to be rewarded for just showing up or, or maybe to be rewarded for not showing up. They always blame their problems on others. It, it's the teacher's problem. It's the, it's the police's problem. It's, it's, it's the government's problem. That, that, that's the fool, Right? So Solomon's saying it's better to be wise. Wisdom, wisdom is good, right? It, it reminds me of a tweet I read on one occasion about preaching. Men, as you preach, remember in gospel work, our sovereign God does not need our wisdom, but he does not need our stupidity either. So it pays. It pays to be wise, doesn't it? But then, but then Solomon thinks of the future, and he realizes this. Both the wise and the foolish are going to die in life under the sun. So he says, why did I spend all this time pursuing wisdom? What, what's the point? Because the wise person will be utterly forgotten in the future, and that drives Solomon to despair. He hates life at that point because he says, what's the, what's the purpose of life? 
Now, I don't think Solomon is saying life is ultimately absurd. I, I don't think Solomon is an existentialist here. What, what, what bothers him is that we'll all be forgotten. Maybe, maybe you know your grandparents, but it's much less likely you know your great-grandparents. And, it's, and then, then if you think to the parents of your great-grandparents, you probably, maybe you're an exception, you probably don't even know who they are. How quickly, right, even in a family, how quickly the previous generations are forgotten. We become a distant memory, and then we're forgotten altogether. In a hundred years from now, almost everyone in this room, think of it, we will be entirely forgotten. I teach at Southern Seminary. I have got, I'm, I'm an older person, you can tell. Uh, I, I, I tell the students sometimes, oh, you remember so-and-so who taught 10 years ago? They'll say, they've only been gone 10 years, never heard of them. You know, they wrote books, whatever, never, never heard of them. They, they have no idea who they are. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a church. I pastored a church. I'm an elder at a church. I'm one of the famous pastors there. Well, famous somewhat is E.C. Stevens. All the older people talk about him, but none of the young people in the church know who E.C. Stevens was. He's utterly forgotten. Time, time has passed. So what is Solomon telling us? Live for the glory of God. Well, how does the book end? How does Ecclesiastes end? Fear God and keep His commandments. Follow God every day. People will forget you. Your little light will be extinguished. But God will never forget you. God will make your life count, even if people forget you. So, you know, our legacy in life, it's futile in the sense that it's forgotten. Not, not that it doesn't matter what we do in life, but we're forgotten. Thirdly, there's futile labor, verses 18 through 23. Solomon says again, verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The, the, the point here is really similar to the preceding one. Solomon says, what's the point of my work? What's the point of the work? I work, I work hard every day, but, but I'm going to leave it to someone who comes after me, and maybe they'll waste and squander all I've gained. And that, that's disconcerting to him, isn't it? We, we, may, we may work hard, not enjoy the fruits of our labor, then we hand it on to someone else, and they, and they waste it. I know, I know a, a, a friend of mine, he has a very wealthy brother. His wealthy brother married a drug addict. The wealthy brother died. Now suddenly, this drug addict, who he married actually very unwisely, she has all the money, and it's lots of money, 
and she's just spending it like crazy and not in helpful ways, you can imagine. And that's frustrating after all his brother had accomplished. You know, notice our work is also described here as toil. What's toil mean? Our, our daily tasks can be exhausting, tiring, enervating. A lot of you are students, right? Later in the book, Ecclesiastes says, reading many books is wearisome to the body, right? Studying, studying is, can be tiring. Well, work, work is tiring. Uh, you know, you, 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 there's a song title, right? Take, take this job and shove it, right? <laughs> Dolly Parton sings her song, Nine to Five. If I was a better singer, I'd sing it, but it would uh, not edify you. So Solomon agrees, our work day after day, it can be frustrating. You know, we, we may, what does he say? We may have a hard time relaxing because we're worried about our work maybe, or, or your studies, right? We, work, work may disrupt, what does he say? Our sleep. And, and, and it can produce, what does he say? Anxiety. Anxiety even in the night as we're thinking about our job or our studies or whatever we're involved in. Of course, in some ways, work is a blessing. It's a gift of God. But he's saying, don't, your work's not going to finally produce ultimate joy for you. If you get your satisfaction, your security, and your identity in your work, it's, it's, it's going to slip through your fingers. So, so what is Solomon saying? He's always instructing us, get your security, significance, satisfaction and identity in God, not, not finally in your work. Last point, enjoying life, verses 24 through 26. Here, here I think Solomon says something positive. So listen to these verses. There's nothing better. I think he's dead serious here. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So let's look at verse 26 first. God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to the one who pleases them. Notice these are not the words of an unbeliever. These aren't the words of a skeptic. Solomon talks about the frustration of life earlier in the chapter, but now he confesses wisdom, knowledge, joy, they all come from God. Those are gifts of God. Solomon acknowledges here the sovereignty of God. God arranges the course of our lives. God arranges the course of your life. That's what Pascal said at the beginning, right? God arranges your life. And, and what he says here, sinners gather and collect things during their lives, and they end up giving it to the righteous. Now, I, I don't think Solomon is saying that always happens on earth, right? If you read the whole book, no, that doesn't always happen on earth that the sinners gather and give things to the righteous. But, but ultimately, that's true, isn't it? Ultimately, that's true. God, God 
God approves of those who live for his glory. And, and, and the wicked, remember how the book ends again, fear God, keep his commandments, God will reward those who do good, and he will punish those who do evil. Finally, so this is the word of God, finally the wicked are repaid. Salvation is by faith, right? But those who do not live a life of faith also live a life of wickedness. So the wicked will be repaid on the last day, and the righteous will be spared. So the book ends, fear God, keep his commandments. God will judge forever those who serve him and those who do not. We may suffer in this world, but in the next world you will be rewarded. You will be given, if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, eternal life. But now let's consider verses 24 through 25. Solomon says, there's nothing better than to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in one's work. And then he says that enjoyment is God's gift. He says, apart from him, we can't eat or enjoy life. So how, how should we understand this? this is, I think this is really important. Is, is Solomon saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Absolutely not. That is not what he's saying. He is not saying eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. He's not despairing here. So, you know, earlier he was talking about things that don't satisfy, but here he's not despairing. No, he says these things are God's gift to us. It doesn't contradict what we saw earlier in the chapter. There we're told the pleasures of life don't ultimately satisfy. We won't find ultimate fulfillment in the things of this world. There we're told that our work can't finally bring us joy. But now, but now, do you see this? Now Solomon says, we find joy in eating and drinking and in our work. So how do those things fit together? I don't think there's a contradiction. I think Solomon is making two distinct points. We don't find ultimate satisfaction in our pleasures and in our work. The deepest desires of our souls aren't satisfied with the things of this world, even though they're so delightful. If you finally get your dream job or your dream husband or your dream wife and place All your hope in that, what does Solomon say? You'll be disappointed. But in verses 24 and 25, Solomon is saying something different. He speaks to those now who know that nothing besides God can satisfy us. And he says, how do we live day to day? We know true satisfaction only comes from God. So how should we live in this world? And he says, I think this is beautiful, I'd love this. He says, accept each day as it comes. Every every day God gives us is a gift. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But meanwhile, today, this moment, this day, God has given you. You're here. You're alive. This is a gift God has given to you. So we enjoy every meal he gives us. We rejoice in the work he gives us to do. We see our creator 
in every beautiful flower and in every leafy tree and in every human joy and in every friend God gives us. No, we don't find ultimate satisfaction in such things. That only comes from God. But when we don't expect too much from life, then God gives the ordinary things of life back to us. And we enjoy them precisely because we don't expect too much from them. So we get joy from them. They're not the center of our life, are they? Our food, our drink, our friends, our work. But we recognize they're good gifts from God. So I want you to see, right, Solomon's balanced, isn't he? Solomon doesn't only talk about the sad and tragic part of life. He also recognizes God's good gifts to us as creatures. So every day, and I hope that's true of you today, every day we give thanks for our daily bread. Every day we give thanks for God's tender mercies to those who love Him. We we find joy in life. We glorify God and we give thanks. We give thanks to Him for His love. We give thanks because God has been so, so good to us. And we recognize yeah, this world isn't the end. There's a, there's a new creation coming. There's a, there's a new life that is before us. And we're, we're getting ready for that world to come. And, and we're using this life, by God's grace, we're using this life, and we're getting ready to meet our Lord and our Savior, our, our Creator and our Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to every part of our lives. Lord, the desire we have for fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. And Lord, we praise you because your word tells us where we can find our ultimate joy and satisfaction, and that is in you. And Lord, we also thank you for every good thing you give us, for friends, for food, for life. And Lord, we enjoy this life as a gift from you, and we look forward to the life to come in your presence forever and ever. Amen.